you could lead him with a tread, but you couldn't drive him with an iron bell. There's a fight on for places down by the River North. There was never a year like 98. That was hard to imagine early in July. It's the 56th title for Awfully gone. The Offaly selectors despondent. We always want the summer to ignite, to explode into colour and passion and give us stories we can tell forever. Maybe it was the Offaly mentality. If we lose this game, it's not a be-all and end-all. They were in through the back door. And then there was the heap of sheep. Offaly hurling is in turmoil today following the shock resignation of manager Bath Keating. In the aftermath of Sunday's defeat by Kilkenny, Keating was critical of his players and said that Offaly were like sheep running around in a heap and stated the players' attitudes would need to change and wondered if he was wasting his time. In an interview with Radio Sport, Keating said that he met with the county board last night and had decided to stay but was shocked at a newspaper article today when key player Johnny Pilkington criticised him. It was then Babs decided that he could no longer remain on as manager. Johnny Pilkington, midfield, Offaly, 1998. Babs always referred to Offaly as, as them. It was never such a thing as us. They were poor out there, they didn't do this and they didn't do that, you know? Today, Pilkington hit back and accused Keating of abandoning Offaly's ground hurling and questioned his track record with Offaly and the tactics employed against Kilkenny. This game is about us. There was never a summer like 98. Willie O'Connor left Connor back to Kilkenny, 1998. Well, it was a wonderful summer for Hurling that year. Maybe for more so for off-the-field stuff. Waterford coming through, they lifted the thing because Wexford were after winning shortly before that, two years before that. Clare was still there. Everything lifted again. Babs going, the referee making the mistakes, the pulling, we'll say, at the start of the Waterford-Clare game. Hurling really hit the headlines in 98. Like, some of it was for the wrong reason. But all of that was still to come. Awfully turned to an unlikely saviour. Bond. Michael Bond. Like the band came on the scene in about a week, I think. Dog down the dressing room and off we went. We just he just said his name was Michael Bond and he likes Offaly Hurling, he likes the way we do it and let's go and train. Now at the same time you're talking about a bunch of lads here that were down at the bottom of a barrel. We were after speaking out against the manager. So now the responsibility was on us to, to pick it up. It wasn't anyone else's fault, only the thirty lads that were there. So Michael Bond came in training was going great and we were a bit of buzz in it and life was in it we thought we were great lads again and we went down to play Kilkenny in a challenge match and they gave us a worse hiding than they did in the Leinster final so <laughs> we were coming out of that then and I said what the bloody hell is going on now you know I have a feeling that Paul Flynn will blast for the goal second game him. the blast the sun shone on Munster Paul Flynn forwards 1998 I think we were losing at half-time. We came back with a couple of points. Um, I remember James O'Connor going on a solo run down the field, the whole length of the field under the new stand, and Brian Green going after him. Like, and Brian Green was a, probably one of the fastest lads in our team, but he couldn't keep in to, to James. And, he, and he, it was a fantastic score, but I just remember saying to myself, Jesus, like what, a, what stamina, you know, the fitness levels these fellas have. It was a, a, a magic score, but... The outstanding uh, memory, I suppose, the chance that we had to win it uh, in the very end. Boyhood dreams of kind of having a free or something to win a Munster final. My name is John O'Leary. 
In 2008, I was elected uh, Secretary of the Water County GA Board, which is a great honour for me and my club and my family indeed. It was a total sellout of the game. There was an excess of 50,000 people in Semple Stadium. Uh, from the time Paul Flynn hit that ball, that may, could have uh, given us victory by a point. A uh, man that took the game out of the fire on Waterford on many, many occasions. He couldn't be expecting to score from 111 yards. Will he go for the greatest glory in the history of Waterford? It seemed as, as if I was on my own in the stand because there wasn't a whisper from nobody uh, while the ball was being uh, lifted and while it was in flight. So it, uh, looking back on it now, it seemed as if uh, I was just there on my own, as if it, the whole world stopped and there wasn't a sound. It's, way. it's rising, it's rising. It's then the indication came, and of course, the roar from the clear crowd meant that uh, the day was safe for them. It went wide to 110 yards. I can still see that ball sailing, sailing. Injury time. I have a feeling that we'll all be back here shortly again for the replay. Didn't go our way, kind of drifted off wide and... Uh, Boyhood dreams of kind of, you know, there there was the chance of beating Clare, and I suppose that was the day to do it. You know, when the, when we we kind of stuck into him in every way, we were nearly as fit as him. We were kind of um, we were probably the better hurling team, but you know, you don't get a ch your chance to play a lot of hurling against a team like Clare. But you know, with the the lads in midfield, they had just sheer you know powerhouses like Ollie Baker and a fantastic centre back Sean McMahon and. You know, well, every Clare back was, you know, let alone a good hurler, but they had, they had plenty of other attributes to go with it. But um, we kind of matched them and kind of outscored them in a small way. But, you know, still, that was probably our best chance to win that day. But we all know what happened the second day. Fergus Tui, Clare Castle, County Clare, wing forward, victorious Clare team, 95-97. I think the psychological barrier had turned with us that if you, if you get a chance to wrestle at a favourite and you don't win, you know, you feel you've lost it and... Lachnan absolutely read as the riot act. We thought the performance was adequate enough, like, but we were amateur compared to where he was coming from. Like he was, he, he had standard setting. So we went back and we regrouped the training, and, and training was very intense then. But it was quite intense. I wouldn't say we did too much physical or, or too much hurling in between, but there was lots of there was lots of spiffs, like there was lots of chats, and it was all directed in one direction for for Watford. Game three. It felt like the crowd was on the pitch. The skies opened. You could feel it. I don't know what it was that day. It was lashing rain, but you could feel when we came out onto the pitch, there was just something, I don't know, was it... I know people have said it to me in the past, looking, they felt an uneasiness in the stand or something, but I could actually feel it on the pitch. There was a kind of a buzz or a, an anticipation. I don't know what it was, but there was kind of a, a different atmosphere than previous matches or other matches. I could feel a tension atmosphere all around the ground. Uh, my name is Willie Barrett from Mount Finland, Tipperary. In 1998, I was the referee for the, the Munster final of that year between Clare and Watford. Because of the previous game, both teams were there, if you like, to put on a marker. And maybe that's where the marker was set at the very start of the game. The Tuhi, four point hero of the 1995 All Ireland final win. So out of the Clare attack. I recall before I went out in the field that, that I remember being told by council officials to ensure before the ball was thrown in that everyone was in their correct dugouts and sitting down and not have fellas running around the touchline or running around the sideline etc. So everyone was to be seated. As I went out on the field and had a look around it was drawn to my attention that 
people were not in their dugouts. We'll be keeping you right up to date from everywhere, but the match has started a wee bit early at Thurles again. Let's go straight to Hall. Yes, indeed, and a hurley was broken before the game even started. The and then I went down to the clear dugout to insist that they go into the designated area in the dugout. And uh, we do know that there are strict... Uh, Guidelines today on pitch incursions. Once again, Willie Barrett is the man in the middle for a mighty monster final replay confrontation. And a mighty confrontation too between the elements in their full raging force, wind and rain. That adds to the tension and the drama and the excitement. Now, I remember looking out at the crowd and the crowd were getting very excited. There was fierce tension in the game. There was absolutely fierce tension. And I looked back and I, I could see that people, players were getting to know each other. So with that, I moved out to the centre of the field, as I call it, and I, I threw in the ball almost immediately to get the play moving and take, try and take the tension out of the game. At the start, there was a lot of pulling went on. I remember quite a bit of pulling, and uh, I awarded a free to Waterford. It was rushed, and all you're doing is pulling in like a referee should be. I, I would feel myself be looking at him, staring him, telling him, we're on, lads, instead of just... He's backed him, turned around and didn't bang. You don't even know whether the ball goes in straight. Will it go two yards over your man's shin? Will it go two yards over your shin? All you're doing is pulling in, like, and, and everyone was wanting it. It was, you could smell it in the crowd, like, you know. Waterman won the toss. It's a cross-field breeze. The rain pumping down. And they were up there as well, equally, but uh, our, our intensity, maybe, the wild animal that, that he wanted us to be, came out on us. I had a difficulty getting the ball away from the centre of the field to get out of the game, but I awarded a free to Walford. I'm not sure who's guilty or anything like that. The game was very tough in the opening, maybe seven or eight minutes to recover. Dan Shanahan got out by Liam Doyle, his second touch of the game. Crossfield breeze, the rain pumping down. On the sixth minute of the game, Emily broke out, and I remember the two players involved booked him and sent him off. They were Brian Lohan and Michael White. They were involved in this, and I felt they had to go, so I sent off both players. But it got out of hand before the ball was thrown in. From there on, the concentration certainly was on the ball. I don't like talking about other GA players, but I think what Peter Queeley went through before the ball even left Willie Barra's hands has no place on a GA pitch, you know. There was a ball down the corner and Tony Brown got flattened off the ball by the same player. Like uh, Tony, Tony Brown is on the ground over there, Michal. There's uh, quite a number of players and John McCarthy's in there now as well. A I personally I was sickened and disgusted by it. To me, hurling is a skill game, not a game where those type of tactics have to be used, you know. So the game went on, you know, Brian Lowen and Michal White got sent off probably because of what went before. Clare were just physically stronger, more experienced that day. They got a grip around midfield, I think, and their half-back line was fantastic. They were more used to that type of occasion, I think, that winning hurling matches by not playing hurling is, is kind of an art in itself. And this is a dreadful display of bad temper by the players on both sides. We had a great motto on ourselves, we seized the day. We knew, we knew 10, 15 minutes to go that we, we were up in them like, and we got a run. like. And There's no way Waterford were going to come back on that specific day. No. We were dominating every, every physical battle that day. I know that Ollie Baker ran across in front of John McCarthy trying to stop him. 
to go on over to uh, Tony Brown. Uh, this is quite unbelievable. Down we didn't think anything of the Colin Lynch start until really it kicked off the following day. But I remember looking at the paper the following day and there was Colin Lynch and Tony Brown and the jerseys off. And I'd say they probably had them even swapped at that stage and they were embracing each other like flesh on flesh. Like John Lachnam was able to tell us that the manager, Joel McCarthy, he'd come over with about four minutes to go and shook his hand on the line and say, like, you know, better team won in the day. And, and that was all. The game was over as far as we were concerned until the next day. It did literally kick off, like, you know. I think the gas ran on when the final was over. But I do not recalling anyone actually even coming to me at the final whistle for me, the waterfall or clear about anything. I'm blowing the final whistle, coming into the restroom and talking off. I would maybe talk to my umpires after the match, but I noticed one thing that the umpires weren't talking much after the match. I deducted from that that they weren't happy with performance because I know my heart and soul they often said to me, well done, good match. And I remember someone coming into the restroom, I can't remember who it was, and he said, there was things happened out there that shouldn't have happened. So I remember coming out then and you know, going to my car after the match and nobody said a word to me and from any side, nobody said a word to me. I remember I stayed in the restroom, had a shower and all the usual, for maybe three quarters of an hour after the match. And went to my car and went away. Went back home. And that was it. Monday, the 20th of July, there, Sports Call explodes. Sports call on this Monday evening. I heard that Sports Call. But at the, at the time, we probably laughed about it, you know. You know, how could it affect anything? Like, you know, it was, but it did definitely picked up momentum. Like, it flew out the door then, like, and it was awful. It was awful. And, and people driving home in their car from work and ringing, give us a chat, like, but Jesus, I don't know, it was... Was there any call allowed from Clearland? We've had a huge reaction already. Con Murphy, a presenter of Sports Call at the time, which went out on a Monday evening after the weekend's matches. Three in one sentence there. Uh, you can call us on the usual telephone numbers, 1850 have No, I had five children with me at the game yesterday. And for the first time I'm going to matches in 35 years, I was actually afraid... I knew straight away. ...as to what could develop. This is a big talking point. This is going to really... Well, what could have developed? God only knows. You saw the lunatic... In the build-up to the game, because we'd been hearing about the fact that Clare weren't going to be pushed around and there wasn't going to be a, any kind of a, a walkover from, from either side. And I mean, the antics of him before, uh, before the game started. Are you talking about the incident with Tony Brown? That's correct, yes. He actually hit Tony Brown to, across the back of the leg. He hit another water toddler. And then he hit one man. Are you being a bit harsh on Colin Lynch? I, I'm certainly not. I met Tony Brown 25 minutes ago. And the chap I'm telling you, you should see yeah, him today. today was who's to blame? Feeling off. And I would feel ashamed of my life. If really, we've so many people we want to get in on this. I know one that. One last thing. We are then. not bitter over losing. A monster final. I'm a national school teacher of a long But long we are bitter over the treatment that was dished out. And if it was the other way around, we'd be lambasted by Lachlan. Now, David, no, well, you can't say that, David. You can't say that. You just cannot say that. They played some no. superb hurling in the second why half. Why wouldn't they? I mean, what, what happened? In, in, in terrible first? conditions, and they played great what stuff. What happened in the first three minutes? He then, turned the around, he then turned around. Is curling become such a dangerous game now in the bully boy game? I think it's very sad. And the one thing that struck everybody on the production team was the fact that so many calls were either from Waterford or from neutrals uh, making comments about the approach that Clare had taken to the, the start of the game. 
there was a deliberate... And very few calls had come in in support of the Clare players or from people uh, from the county of Clare. Obviously, we're striving for some kind of balance in the programme. But 90, I would say a good 90% of the calls that came in were either, as I say, from Waterford or from neutrals who had a very negative view of the tactics that Clare had approached on the day. Look, Nan was reported in today's paper saying that, you know, the nutters were going to phone up the, the radio stations. He had call written all over I think, for example, it's grossly uh, offensive to see that sort of thuggery going on on a field and people standing up for it and apologising You reckon that it. the Munster Council just won't have the... The, 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 the roadies to do anything <laughs> about it. But what about Sherlock Nan's point, Elizabeth, that, you know, a lot of people on this programme for the okay, last... OK, well, it sounds like a very anti-Clare programme tonight. I'm sorry about this. 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 I'd have to say it and be honest about it, you know, the criticism on the paper of me in particular, which I, I'd have to, you know, if you're referring to match, you've obviously got to take the criticism. I'd have to say it affected me that particular year and I wasn't appointed to any further inter-county games in that particular year. You know, you had to perform and you still have, but the letters I got from obviously people were annoyed and I didn't answer the phone. I stopped answering the phone then after a while. My wife took the calls. And unfortunately, she got the brunt of it. It was a difficult time. My daughter was in France and I decided we booked a flight and went out with the young boy. I got away from it all. It was, it was, it was, it was very difficult time. Somebody once said to me, it's nice to have your photograph in the paper. I got a pair for the next 12, 13 days and I saw my photograph on it every day. It didn't add anything to me, I can assure you that much. I just wanted to become oblivious, if you like. You have to admit that it deeply, deeply affected me. And I didn't know at that time when I'd have the confidence to go on refereeing it. But you know, you get one chance in the GA field of making decisions on any given day, on any Sunday, in any match. And you know, you can't change anything. Absolutely nothing that night or the day after, anything like that. Then we did circle the wagons after that, like, and letting down the hatches. We were in an all Ireland semi final at that stage. We were preparing then for Offaly. Because we were so young, but maybe the management were a bit older and wiser. They had seen that develop with other county teams as well. And I remember Joe saying that he wanted us to be like the meat footballers, that, you know, everyone did hate him. And maybe. Clare were always coming from where they needed an edge anyway, to be honest. You know, if it was the opposing manager, if it was the opposing dressing rooms, anything at all, we were looking for an edge, you know, because we were staffed for success as well, like many of the team had just gone out and played hurling and maybe it wasn't enough, so we were just looking for an edge and, and he'd like to be like meet footballers there where everyone in the country did hate him. 5th of August, two days before the Munster Council meet to decide on Colin Lynch. Four days before the All-Ireland semi-final, Gerlach Nana answers back. At the All-Ireland quarter-final in, uh, in Dublin, on last Sunday week, uh, the chairman of the Clare County Board was sitting in the VIP section of the stand, mm -hmm. seated directly behind no, him. No, we won't mention any names. <clears throat> no, we mention no names, I understand. I'm going to mention no names. Seating behind him, they said directly behind him were three priests, right? They discussed... They weren't watching the match, obviously. Their main uh, discussion was on the Clare team, which went on the lines that the Clare team were tinkers. Look, Nan was a tramp. 
and the Clareteens must be on drugs. This was the general tenor of their conversation. When one of the, the priests then piped up and he said, don't worry, the Munster Council were going to get Lucknan up in the stand the next day and that Colin Lynch would be suspended for three months. Now remember that this event took place uh, three days bef uh, before the Munster Council met to discuss the referee's report or to discuss this incident. Mm. Now, so what it would seem was that a small group within the Munster Council must have met to discuss this. They tried Colin Lynch, they found him guilty, they delivered the sentence and announced the decision to their friends, to, or a, select whoever, to, to a select few, before the meeting took place. They will naturally say, Gerard Nan, living in the realm of fantasy, he's been watching too many episodes of The X-Files. Do you have proof? I don't even know what The X-Files is, is about. I, I, I have the clue what The X-Files is. I never watched The X-Files. Maybe that is some kind of fantasy. I have proof that this is it. I have two witnesses that witnessed this incident, and not alone that, one of them, the chairman of the Clare County Board, challenged the three priests and then walked out. Well, so this incident definitely took place. Can this young athlete side upset the Clare bandwagon? We assess the mood in 8 p.m. on the night of the Munster Council meeting. Sideline view. And we're live from Limerick as Donny Nealon and his Munster Council colleagues meet Clare's Colin Lynch. He's before the Munster Council tonight in Limerick and there's much speculation that he could get a three-month ban for his actions in the Munster final replay. And that meeting is taking place right now at the Limerick Hotel, so let's go there live and join Marty Morrissey. Marty, what's happening? Good evening, uh, Des. Welcome to the Limerick Inn, where the Munster Council is uh, now underway. That meeting has started. Uh, I can reveal exclusively that Clare went to the High Court today seeking a postponement of tonight's meeting so that Colin Lynch, the Clare midfielder, could face his accusers. But that uh, effort failed in the High Court. The sad news, unfortunately, is that it's been a traumatic period for Colin Lynch with all this media speculation. But last Monday, his grandmother suffered a stroke and just hours ago, the life support machine was turned off. And we send our sympathies to Colin Lynch and the family. Earlier, uh, just around half six or so this evening, delegates from the Munster Council... In a bizarre twist, it turned out that Colin Lynch's grandmother had not, in fact, died. Marty apologised. Wouldn't be revealed until the player himself was informed. Lucknan was more frank. One of the first comments I made on Claire Ed in that interview was that she was going to get three months. What happened tonight? You got three months. No representation allowed from Claire. You can draw your own conclusions about that. You know, and people all over the country can just ask themselves one question. The one question I'm asking myself coming out here tonight is Do I want my young fella to be a member of, of an organisation like this? No. No, we didn't think we could lose. Fergus Tui, Clare Castle, County Clare, going forward. So, you know, I suppose we had got the wake-up call on the first day against Waterford as well, so that wasn't going to happen anymore, like, you know, and, you know, there'll, there'll always be an incident in training that would sharpen the minds, maybe some fella would get a Lambeth or something that might be thrown off the panel for 
some misdemeanor and, and that would sharpen everyone up again, like, you know. It'd be a foot soldier sacrificed along the way. Because you know, anyone that wasn't focused would have, would, have, would have been shafted from it. Like, you know, there was no baggage, you know. Sometimes you see teams that win all Ireland's, they have an entourage, you know, with them in a circus. But there definitely was no baggage with this, this clear team. Like, Nan wouldn't stand for it. Like, you know, what he wanted was hurlers and, and people in that frame of mind. I suppose that, that Joe Lockman had been banished to the stands as well. When he came out on the pitch, it was like I'd never seen it before. When he came out the steps of the Cusick stand, we were on the left-hand side and he walked out towards the 21, like, and the cameras were just clicking, 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 and they were running back and just getting pictures, pictures, pictures of him. And it was real, real, you know, I know the players were the centre of attention, but it was, he was definitely, definitely up there with us, like, you know. And uh, then he had to go back and, and take his seat there beside us in the dugout. And uh, I was summoned in from the bench there about the start of the second half. And, they asked me, where did I want to go? You know, I would have been a wing forward or centre forward. I just said, put me in there on the wing. I says, and I, fortunate enough then, I scored about one, two and 20 minutes. Like this, yeah. August 9th, Croke Park, Hoffley and Clare, All-Ireland semi-final. It was boiling hot, but there was also a sense of relief that we'd got that far. Johnny Pilkington. And Gerlach Nan had taken his eye off the ball altogether. Maybe he's just taken awfully for granted. That, well, this and awfully have gone, they've done their best, their manager is gone as well, and maybe he took the eye off the ball. Maybe if it was Kilkenny that they were coming into the net semi-final, you wouldn't have got the reaction out of Gerlach Nan. Maybe if it was Galway, you wouldn't have got the reaction out of Gerlach Nan as it did. So, I mean, Clare definitely came into that game not with their eye on the ball, far from it. And uh, so it was our opportunity to take it to them. Clare were lucky in the end that they got a point from a debatable free to draw it. Six minutes to go, Clare were actually ahead. Now, they will tell you they didn't play that well. Destiny is something I, I believe in. Went off on a solo run earlier on in that about 10 minutes to go, and again, as usual, ran into a dead end and lost the ball, and it was too knackered to get back out to the middle of the field. And in our team itself can rotate. I mean, you know, you just say to Paddy Mulhair, here, Paddy, just tip out there for five minutes and, and off he will, or, you know, or Johnny Dooley, any of them. And we could do that. And while I was in corner forward, we got a free. It. Dave Fitzgerald batted it out and he batted it up straight in front of him. So it just jumped up and tapped it in. Clare were actually at three points ahead of that stage. So that brought us back level. And the whole team did it again, and I got back out then to the middle of the field and got another ball, went in a run, and tapped it over the bar. On towards Johnny Pilkington, the man who got the goal. Here comes Pilkington, 20 metres out. He's put it over the bar. Johnny Pilkington with a goal and a point. An awfully lead by a point. Awfully had shown us no form whatsoever this year. That was to put us a point ahead, and it was up to Clare then to get the free to draw it. Jamie has got five out of seven frees so far. This the most crucial. This to make it level. He's done it. James e. O'Connor with six points, and it's 113 to 113. Now it's at the discretion of the referee. They've been level seven times. So I suppose both sides at the end of it all were, were happy coming out with a draw. We would have probably been disappointed that we didn't get the win. So that would have put us back psychologically a bit in the second game. But Clare were delighted. They hadn't Ryan the ball. They were missing Colin Lynch. They were missing Brian Lohan. 
and they're after drawing with Offaly. I hope all those people who castigated Clare over the past few weeks feel a little bit guilty now about what they said. There was a dirty stroke struck out there today. Two great teams that battled it out to the line. It ended a draw and we'll have another day. Thank you very much, Gerald Okay. Well, there's no doubt about it. It's everything that's been said. August the 15th. The massive car bomb in Oma exploded at 10 past three in the heart of the town's busy shopping area at the junction of Drumra Avenue and Market Street. A telephone warning earlier saying the bomb was at the courthouse 400 yards away meant that many people were evacuated from the courthouse end of the town and inadvertently walked straight into the path of the bomb. People who were on the scene almost immediately described what they saw as a battlefield with bodies lying on the road and in and around the shattered buildings. Rescuers tore hoardings off windows to use as makeshift stretchers. So great was Saturday, August the 22nd. After much agonising, the replay went ahead. There were three minutes silence and an air of unreality in Croke Park. People wondered what we were doing there. For a while, it seemed to affect the players. Right, sir, who's going to win it? Yeah, it's a hard one to call. The atmosphere is unreal, first of all, like, you know, and uh, everyone's thoughts are in Roma. And often have their own problems today as well because Jim Paddy Monheir's father died very suddenly and he would be a brother of Pods, the selector, so they'd have, you know... We were stuck in traffic uh, for about three-quarters of an hour. So we only arrived into Crow Park at maybe three o'clock with a match on at half three. There was supposed to be a three minutes of uh, silence and the two teams were supposed to be out in the field. When you go back and you look at it, you'll see the clear team, the whole panel there, out in their tracksuits, and the awfully lads weren't. And the reason was that we were back in, in the dressing room, just getting tugged out. Jimmy Coney is my name, and I refereed the All-Ireland semi-final between Clare and Offaly in 1998. I suppose the most thing that stick out in your mind was it was the fierce determination that Clare had the second day. Uh, they felt that they didn't huddle well the first day and they got out of jail by getting a draw out of it and I'd say that they were out to make amends on the second day and they were huddling out of their skins. Got some great scores. We all know what Offaly did in the past and was always capable of doing both in hurling and football. You could never write them off until the final whistle would go. They were, they were coming, they were coming and they were coming hard at Clare towards the, towards the end of the game. They were coming back at Clare. We were at sea. But in the second half again we went back out and you just start chipping away. You probably, you, you don't believe that you're going to get back this 10-point lead. Billy Dooley scrambled a goal or, or whatever, and now all of a sudden there's only five or six points in it, you know? And I think we got a second goal then as well. So all of a sudden we were 10 points down, and now you're in shouting distance, and you're in shouting distance with a good five minutes left in the game. Offley, who never really yield to any opposition, even to the Munster and All-Ireland champions, gave it the roll in the second half. Had to make up an eight-point gap. So there's nothing to say. You get a ball and you bang, you put it over the bar, there's three points in it, and then there's two, and then there's one, you might get a goal and go ahead. So you just keep chipping away. And that's what we did, chipping and chipping and chipping. And the referee has blown up his whistle, but I think he's blown up before time. I think there are two minutes left. Would we have got a goal? We don't know. A lot of teams have felt the pain of us getting the goal down through the years. But on my watch here, there are another two minutes to go. You can say that Alan Markham had the ball, he was just about to put it over the bar. You could say that that's only four points and still within shouting distance, you know. Well, it's handshakes all around. Jimmy blew up and was whisked off the field. And to me, when he did blow the whistle, to me, right, that was it. Because I felt that, you know, we were bet by... The clear team were better that day. We were better in the first half. 
and, and you know we just ran out of time as I felt and we, we clawed it back a bit but it ran out of time and that's the end of it good luck that's the summer over again I can tell you that the teams for the next match are already out on the field and then I saw my own part coming out and he had his hand up with his five fingers out and then I thought to myself oh Jesus Jimmy Cooney's escorted off the field I mean all the photographers were nearly pushing one another out of the way to get a photograph of me after that shoot was hell of a loo altogether. This, there has been a lot of controversy recently, but this is one that they didn't create. Oh, oh, exactly, but I mean, people here, as you can see, are very angry. And why wouldn't they be? Exactly. They feel they have been began. And, and, I mean, a mistake has been made. No doubt about that. It was only upstairs in Crow Park, you can look out into the field. It was just there at the, the premium level, you know. And uh, it was only up there for like, there were people going on down on the field. So I went, uh, we're looking out and says, Jesus, all these lads going out on the field, what are they going to do? It's five minutes left. Then we go to the dressing room, then we go in and we're inside and there's silence. We know we're wrong. Then there's some of the security lads come in telling us that the awfully people are out on the pitch and they're digging up the pitch and, oh God almighty, this is getting worse by the minute then. You think you'd have to cause it all this and this is Croke Park? The umpires told me that I didn't tug in for about two hours. I don't remember that. I remember my wife coming down from the stands and she was eventually let in maybe after about an hour. She was crying, of course. I didn't know, I didn't know what state I was in. So you're crying and, and you're, you're crying because of, of what has happened, but then you're, you're worrying as well about what is going to happen. Then Croke Park were anxious to get a referee's report as quickly as they could. So they asked me, would I be willing to do my referee's report there and then? And I said, I, I don't have any problem with that. So then they put me into a room on my own and they gave me as much time as I wanted. And I did the referee's report and I put it into a sealed envelope and the official took it away with him. And then after a while they asked me would I, what did I want to do or something. I said, if I got a pint of Guinness this minute, I said, and I wouldn't take it down in my head. I said, my tongue is gripped to my head. So then the security said, we'll take you up to one of the bars and we'll get you a pint of Guinness along at the umpires and, and that and... Then they're talking and walkie-talkies to one another and we go up in the lift and when we arrive in a bar, they call the pint of Guinness for me and then there were a number of people there and they must have thought I was going to be in trouble there as well because they whipped me away from there again and I had to leave a pint of Guinness after me. I just wanted to get home. I knew I had no business in Dublin. I was also made aware like that there possibly could be consequences with you know phone calls and we had a very young family at the time, very, very young, four young kids. I wanted to be at home to be there with him as well, just in case that there could be incidents as well. I was told that there possibly would be phone non-stop and would have lasted up to Christmas. And after Christmas, if there's one of the girls that answered the phone, is your daddy a referee? And they'd say, of course, straight out, he is, yeah, yeah. Well, tell him that we're going to come and get him and we'll kill him and you'll have no daddy. And by the way, if you don't tell him, we'll kill you as well. And there was a lot more than that. Lots of different things came burning down the house. They were going doing that, of course, and they were going burning the car. And didn't they get me anyway? They, they knew me from television. They were going to get me anyway. They'd get me at some stage along the line I was going to be got. Fergus Tui, Clare Castle, County Clare. But uh, we proceeded then to get the bus into town and we was, had a bit of grub in the Burlington and a few more pints. And thinking, you know, obviously everyone was talking about the two or three minutes that the referee had blown up, but we were drinking so much that we felt we were in an honour in his final and uh, I remember Joe Lachnan coming into the bar dinner around 
11 o'clock and uh, I happened to share the lift with him going up then and he, and he told me that the game was on next Saturday after coming back from a meeting that night. How he had met Don Corleone and the whole lot and uh, there were his words and it was going to be sorted and, and Lynch was back. And so maybe, you know, with the thought of Lynch being back, we've, if we thought we would be unstoppable. Colin Lynch never came back. We went back to the Spa Hotel. We started off talking anyway about training and the replay next week and the lads were talking about training the next morning. One or two of us were saying that how much point training the next morning, lads, there won't be a replay on this anyway. I said, no, we're going to train, we're going to get the replay and all that. And it developed into an actual argument and the whole lot and I just remember that there was one lads were saying this and the other lads were saying that and it just developed into a row fueled by a, a three or four points and, and this, that and the other. But we had left the meeting, the meeting just broke up and we, we left the meeting with the thing that was training the next evening, I think it was. We trained in, we went out to the Belfield, there at the university, the following morning to do a bit of running and we did it under the guidance of Mike Mack and we came back with another shower, went inside into Burlington, got a bus down, stopped in the Puching still, had a steak dinner, hopped on the bus again, so it was a duration to come home. It mightn't have been the best preparation for us a week later, like, because we should, probably should have flew down and, you know, I'd say we were on the road to Bones for seven hours. It was lashing rain, it was hailstone hopping off the window that day. We were very flat in, very flat in Turles. You know, some, some of the boys did play well. Now, I, I personally didn't play well. And uh, very flat. And I think Johnny Dooley in the corner caused havoc as well. I think he scored about seven or eight points. And maybe he could have done with a change as well. But that didn't happen. We're here in Burr. You have the whole of North of Offaly who are absolutely kind of mad supporters. They follow Offaly in the, in the good and the take times. They're, they're very, they're, there's hurling up there, but it's mainly football. And you had them all coming down through bar, flowing on, horns beeping, blowing at nine, ten o'clock in the morning and on down to Tarlis. Into Tarlis, and I mean, it was just a party atmosphere there in Tarlis. The, the square was packed and there was a traffic jam coming into Tarlis two hours before the match. So we got a bit of a police escort into the square. You know, just the crowds of Offaly people were just banging and clapping and, and the whole lot, you know. We just seemed to feed off it. I mean, it was a very special day for Offaly people. And maybe it was because it wasn't just probably the Offaly hurlers that were going down there. This was really probably one of the first days where you had Offaly County because we wouldn't have got a replay unless the Offaly people didn't sit in the field. And the fact that they did sit in the field really pushed it home. And, I mean, it brought it to the rest of the country's attention as well. So this all came down and, and into Turles and probably the best game of the three. It's not that awfully were any better. I mean, what people have to realise that at the end of three matches, you add up the scores, the scores were still level. You know, they were three points ahead. We won by three points in Turles, you know. But it was to be our day. I mean, Stephen Burns as well made two, three fantastic saves. For another day, you know, Claire would have got them. But it just wasn't to be their day, you know. After that, I mean, you come home, back into Burr, horns and that car still going through, blowing, blowing all day, you know. For you know, So from about maybe 8, 9 o'clock in the morning till 10, 11 at night, it was probably the most special day that Offaly Hurling has. Well, definitely in my time for atmosphere and everything. We were never going to lose the All-Ireland after that. Kilkenny were never going to beat us. And it was a strange one. I never felt at any stage in the Kilkenny match that we were in trouble. 
although we were three or four points behind with 15 minutes to go. But at no stage were I did a feel Kilkenny were going to beat us. Good work again by Canis Brennan. He has had a wonderful match once again after a shaky start. When so, I mean, we had no, absolutely no fear of Kilkenny. The switch has worked well. And Michael Bond, the man from Galway who came in late in the season, looks to be on the verge of an All-Ireland success. Mulher has Kevin Martin there to assist him. So we were never going to lose. I mean, the big trouble probably was in Munster, probably Clare. And we got over them. Handy. <laughs> Back down again. Hubert Rigney. It's all over. It was never a summer like 98. We've seen ourselves in those games. Bile and anger, passion and humour and bravery. A man sitting alone in a dressing room. There were prices paid that shimmering summer. Some prices beyond us. It's a glorious moment for Offaly, for their captain Hubert Rigney. The Liam McCarthy Cup is won by Offaly. Champions for the fourth time ever. And Offaly came through the back door they'd voted against. Billy Dooley in there. Took their All-Ireland. Johnny Pilkington as well. And being Offaly, voted against it again the following year. No, there was never a year like 98. We may have come in through the back door, but we're going to 